Hello, this is Jennifer Wolf Horsch, Executive Director of the International Association of Industrial Accident Boards and Commissions, also known as the IAIABC. You're listening to the IAIBC's podcast, Accidentally, where we discuss issues and events impacting workers' compensation. During Accidentally, I ask thought-provoking questions, raise awareness of emerging issues, and offer insights on workers' compensation. My hope is to make you think about workers' compensation in a different way. You can subscribe to our monthly podcasts on iTunes or find them at our website, iaiabc.org slash podcast. It's March, and in honor of Women's History Month, I wanted to share the contributions of women in the workers' compensation system in the United States. Women have played many different roles in workers' compensation. Advocate, researcher, judge, actuary, doctor, adjuster, victim. One of the most influential thinkers about work injuries and illnesses was Crystal Eastman. In her book, The Pittsburgh Study, Work Accidents and the Law, Eastman counted the deaths and industrial accidents within a single county in 1906 and 1907. The book was the first of its kind, and it systematically recorded the losses of these industrial accidents. Crystal Eastman recognized the devastating impact that these trauma traumas had on both the industry and society. She writes, youth, skill, strength, in a word, human power is what we are losing. Crystal Eastman strongly advocated for the development of workers' compensation laws, believing that employers should bear the burden of these cost associated with work injuries and deaths. Crystal Eastman, following the publication of the book, was appointed by the New York governor to a committee which ultimately established the first state workers' compensation law, although the law was subsequently ruled unconstitutional by the New York State Supreme Court in March 1910. Just days later, 123 women and 23 men made workers' compensation history on March 25, 1910. Their history was made not by their lives, but by their deaths. Late in the afternoon, a fire began on the eighth floor of the Ash Building in New York. It was home to the factory of the Triangle Shirtwaist Company. The fire spread to the upper floors where hundreds of workers were trapped. Management had locked the doors from the outside, a measure to prevent unauthorized breaks and stealing. And the building's fire escapes were buckling under the heat and weight. The factory workers, mostly young women, were panicked and desperate for escape. Stories above the sidewalk, many women leapt to their deaths as the fire escape buckled and locked exits were blocked by bodies. The fire ultimately resulted in the deaths of 146 workers. 
The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire came just days after the Supreme Court of New York had struck down the state's workers' compensation law as unconstitutional. But this tragedy was widely publicized, not just in New York, but across America. Those women's deaths became a catalyst for action. The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire was also a catalyst of another kind. It became a personal catalyst. As a fire raged, a future workers' compensation leader was born. Frances Perkins was having tea at a nearby restaurant, and she heard the fire engines rushing through the streets and went outside. She watched the gruesome scene unfold. Frances Perkins bore witness to this tragedy, and she carried those women's deaths with her throughout her career. In response, and upon the recommendation of Theodore Roosevelt, Frances Perkins was appointed the Executive Secretary of a Citizens Committee on Safety. Their work resulted in a comprehensive set of workplace health and safety laws passed in New York. More than a decade later, Franklin Roosevelt, then Governor of New York, appointed Frances Perkins the Commissioner of the New York Industrial Commission. Frances Perkins was one of the most powerful labor commissioners in the United States, and she served as the president of the IAIABC in 1929. In her remarks to the IAIBC 1929 convention, Perkins stressed the human condition. She noted, we should give more careful consideration to all the implications of the problems of human necessity in the administration of workmen's compensation laws so that it will not be too hard and too difficult of a problem for the injured workers. First, to get their compensation. Second, to spend their compensation. And third, to live while the august officials of the government are determining what they ought to have. In other words, it is a human problem with them. It is a hundred percent loss to them, even though it is only one more case to us. Perkins also remarked on an objective that remains a challenge even today. The IAIABC is also looking to greatly improve coordination between the states in reference to accident prevention work and workmen's compensation administration. The work of reducing complexity and promoting uniformity across states guide the association's work in 2017 and it was noted as a key area of focus in the IAIABC's 2016 National Conversations on the Future of Workers' Compensation. It is truly amazing to consider how linked these women were and what a powerful role they played in shaping the early history of workers' compensation in the United States. They hold important lessons for us today. 
Work injuries and illnesses have a human cost. They harm workers, they harm families, they harm employers, and they harm our economy. These lives are easy to forget when we measure success by a balance sheet, a profit margin, a budget reduction, or case count. However, those employers who recognize human capital as their greatest asset will ultimately be the most successful over the long term. After the significant contributions of these early leaders, like Crystal Eastman and Frances Perkins, women have been given a less prominent role over the next century of workers' compensation. While it is for sure that they were engaged in the system, very few held leadership roles. The IAIABC has seen less than a dozen women presidents throughout its 103-year history. The 1940s saw two women leaders, Emma Toussaint from Massachusetts and Mary Donnellan from New York. During Mary Donnellan's President's Address in 1948, she remarked on the need to successfully integrate individuals with permanent physical impairments into the workforce. She comments, The economic waste is extravagant, even for rich nations. This was a time in workers' compensation when many second injury funds were developed, which were intended to promote the hiring of individuals with permanent impairments so that employers would not fear the high workers' compensation cost. Almost 40 years passed before the next woman president. Jeanette Tomasini Gomez from Puerto Rico, Evelyn Scott Ferris, of Oregon, Joyce Sewell of Utah, and Joanne Carl of Connecticut served as IAIBC presidents in the 1980s and 90s. This was a time of growth in workers' compensation and within the association as the U.S. economy thrived. Electronic reporting standards an important opportunity to harmonize across states were developed in this period. The leadership of women, including Elizabeth Crum of Pennsylvania, Frances Huntley Cooper of Wisconsin, Mary Ahern of Maryland, and Christine Baker of California, had a strong influence on the direction of the IIBC during the first years of the 21st century. Their leadership and integrity helped the association rebuild its finances and better serve its members and ultimately fulfill the mission of the IIBC to improve workers' compensation. Women will play an integral role shaping the future of workers' compensation. There are a growing number of women in executive and senior roles at insurers, third-party administrators, employers, healthcare organizations, medical management and technology service providers, and within state agencies. The IIBC is lucky to have Abby Hudgens of Tennessee and Evelyn McGill of Virginia serving on its board of directors.
As we end Women's History Month, I am inspired by the women who have been a motivating and positive force in workers' compensation. Let us not forget them or their contributions. And most importantly, let us remember what they have taught, that there is a human cost to work injuries and illnesses. We must continue to encourage women in the workers' compensation industry. They will shape policy and practice to make workers' compensation better. Thank you for listening to Accidentally, the IAIABC's podcast series. I look forward to chatting with you about workers' comp issues next month. You can subscribe to Accidentally on iTunes or listen at iaiabc.org slash podcast. I really like to hear your feedback. Share your thoughts at jwolf at iaiabc.org. Thanks for listening. Cheers.